Good morning, everyone. It's so great to be here. You guys did not blow away this week. You're here. Sometimes we thought like houses, people would just blow away, you know, just end up somewhere far north of here. You're here, still in Wellington. Don't we love this place? Don't we love this place even after a week like this week? Hallelujah. Hey, we are on a new adventure. Uh, my name's Simon, if you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we are on a journey through the book of John, and we start a new adventure. I'm calling it an adventure, the I Am Adventure today. Um, and the reason is because we break the, the whole book up into chunks, and we had three weeks on the seven titles of Jesus, and then we had seven weeks in this theme, Jesus, Savior of the World, and you can probably find that phrase on the most random word search in the world. Uh, up there. And then uh, now we're heading into seven, because seven, biblical number of perfection. So, you know, got to keep to the sevens. There, uh, John then moves into what is the bulk of his book, which is the seven I am statements of Jesus. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. Seven statements like that. Uh, And so today we begin um, the sort of what will take up the rest of this year, really, around these seven statements, I am. We've broken them up into seven mini-series. And it should come as no surprise to us that I am becomes a major theme for John. And so before I head into today's message, which starts the sort of mini-series, I am the bread of life, I just want to give a brief introduction to why we're talking about I am, why it's the title of this series. And the thing is, it's such a significant theme for John. And I don't think it should come as any surprise to us that I am is such a key statement for John. The reason is because three Gospels have already been written. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have already been written by the time John sits down to put pen to paper on um, this, or papyrus, or whatever. They've already been written. So John is adding. He He thinks something's missing. He wants to add to the testimony of Jesus, and he's always pointing to significance. He wants to show that everything is about Jesus, that Jesus isn't just sort of a big deal. He is everything, and John is always pointing that way. And in the Old Testament, you find that when God appears, when God reveals himself in different forms, in different ways, and people say, who are you? You know, what's your name? Describe yourself. One of the primary, one of the most unique ways, one of the most significant ways that God reveals himself is in this statement, I am. And God is the only one in all eternity who can truly describe himself in this way, where the statement, I am, is enough. The one who always was, the one who still is, and the one forever and ever and ever who always will be. He is, I am, utterly faithful, utterly reliable, utterly dependable. And so as you think about the Old Testament, the sort of Jewish scripture pre-Jesus, that major part of our Bibles before you get to the New Testament that starts with Matthew, God reveals himself, describes himself as I am. And now we come to John chapter 6, and uh, we're heading into two miracles. They're like Jesus' greatest hits, feeding 5,000 and walking on water. You know, so many people outside of the Christian faith have heard of these miracles, okay? They're like his greatest hits. And we're going to look at, I just want to refer to the second one in John chapter 6 that we're, gonna, we're not really going to look at today. 
But you find that Jesus has taken his disciples from the west side of the lake where they, where they live, where Jesus, his sort of base of operations in Capernaum. He, they sail across to this really sort of deserted, hilly place on the east side of the lake called Bethsaida. Jesus is teaching there, and, and then because the people want to make him king by force, Jesus had to sort of hide away, uh, sort of frowned upon by the Romans, an alternative king, let's be honest. And so he hides away, <clears throat> and, and he leaves the disciples to fend for themselves to make their way back to Capernaum across the lake. And as they set sail, as they've rowed three to four miles, this giant storm comes, as is common even today on Lake Galilee, in the north, the Sea of Galilee in the north of Israel. Um, as this storm comes, suddenly in the darkness, in the middle of the storm, over the waves, comes Jesus, just cruising along, just walking over the waves. I've wondered, as you probably have done, does his feet get wet? That you know, as the waves come, is it a bit like sort of trying to go uphill on the down escalator, that sort of thing? I don't know. I but I just get the impression he just sort of cruised. You know, the one who invented water knows how to let water support you, I guess. And he just comes across the lake. And the disciples are frightened. They're not frightened by the storm. They're frightened. They are freaked out by the fact that there is a guy walking on the water in the storm. Okay, that is freaking them out. And Jesus appears and he says, hey, don't be afraid. It is I. But one of the things that I want you to spot here as we head into this I Am series, okay, is that Jesus doesn't really say, it is I. Okay, the English translation of the Bible has to put it that way because what Jesus really says doesn't actually make sense. He appears out of the darkness. He appears as if from nowhere into these guys' situations. And do you know what he says? Don't be afraid. I am. I am. What John is writing here, the reason John writes this, and it also appears in John 4, but through it we find these hidden away. What John is saying is, hey, do you remember the God who revealed himself out of nowhere? Out of seemingly nowhere and into people's situations and said, hey, I am. Now we see him appearing in the darkness. Now we see him walking over the waves. Now we see him appearing into people's situations. And how does he describe himself? I am the God of the Old Testament, the God of creation, the Almighty One who revealed Himself as I am, is now revealing Himself most personally and most preciously and most powerfully in the person of Jesus. John is saying, Jesus is I am. And today... We begin on this little journey now, on these seven phrases, these seven statements where Jesus Jesus doesn't just say, I am, but he says, I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd, the true vine. Jesus begins to sort of put flesh on the bones. So if you're I am, what does a relationship actually look like with you? And the first one we look at today is the bread of life. Some people will have murmured and muttered as they came in this morning. They're like, there's bread and juice on the stage. You know, water just isn't enough. So we've just got a bit of vin rouge here just to, just to soothe the old throat. My voice is still actually not better since two weeks ago when I was cheering for the lions. Anyway, Jesus takes this simple, everyday thing. I don't know a culture in the world that doesn't have bread of some description. And Jesus takes this everyday, ordinary item that nourishes, that fills us up, that satisfies us, that is a staple of many, many diets. 
and says, you want to know what true nourishment is about? You know what you really hunger for eternally? You hunger for something more. You hunger for bread. And Jesus says, I am the bread that truly satisfies. I'm the bread that truly uh, truly nourishes. I am the one that your soul truly longs for and needs to find. I am the bread of life. And in terms of the sort of eternal significance, in terms of the long-term significance of that phrase, I am the bread of life, John sort of doesn't quite get to it. You have to wait for the title track of this series to come next week when Jesus actually says, I'm the bread of life. But it's interesting that as we head this way towards this statement, I am the bread of life, in John chapter 6, John records a miracle that Jesus does around ordinary everyday bread, and not a miracle of eternal significance, just a miracle that satisfies their temporary hunger. And we find it in John chapter 6. Do you want to join me there? We're going to read the first uh, 14 verses. What comes after this is um, the Jesus walking on the water. You can read it for yourself. We've referred to it, but I want to hone in really today um, and introduce this theme of Jesus, the bread, I am the bread of life, by reading and talking about these first 14, 15 verses of John chapter 6. You can open your Bibles, open your devices, ask Siri where it is. Maybe it'll show you. If nothing else, you can read up on the screen here. Should we read together? Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far side of the Sea of Galilee. That's what I talked about. Going to the east side. Um, that is the Sea of Tiberias. It's a Roman name. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test them. Only to test them. For he had already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, When they'd had enough, when they were full, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Should we pray together? Jesus, we want to come around your word right now. We thank you for it. Thank you that I don't have to share opinion this morning. But God, you're able to bring fresh revelation day in, day out, out of your word, out of this incredible book. And I pray, God, as we examine it today, Lord, I pray that you'd nourish us. I pray you'd edify us. I pray, God, that we would be satisfied in the very depths of our soul. God, that we might be energized. God, that we might be equipped. God, that we might be filled up and given what we need to run well for you. 
this week. God, I want to thank you that no matter where we are on our spiritual journey, no matter whether we are followers of you or whether we're exploring it or whether we're really new to this sort of space and this teaching, God, I thank you that you're able to speak to us in our situation. There's not one person on planet Earth who, who is removed from your sight. And I want to thank you today that you're able to minister and speak powerfully into our lives and lead us. So God, we give you these times. We open ourselves right now to respond to you in Jesus' name. Come on, give me a big amen. Amen. Okay, cool. I want to talk about my mum today. I want to talk about my mum. And the reason I want to talk about my mum is because my mum wasn't born a girl, right? My mum wasn't born um, with this incredible, illustrious surname, Slightly fish-like, but let's just ignore that for right now. She wasn't given the name Gil. She married into it. And I feel like there's an extent to which she's had to prove that she is up to this surname that she's married into, Gil. And I feel like after many years, this last few weeks, she has proved herself worthy of such a name more than I've ever seen. And it happened on the 1st of May, okay? That might be insignificant, but if you're from England, you'll know that the 1st of May is like a celebration of spring. It's this bank holiday, public holiday in Kiwi, and it is this day off where we, you know, people like to get out, get in the garden, and my mum says to my dad, let's go for a bike ride. So they head out, lovely day, and, they, and, 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 and as they're heading back towards home, four kilometers from home, they have a, my mum has a bike crash and um, breaks her leg. Happy spring. Breaks her leg in a bike crash. And uh, there are options open to her. Does she call an ambulance? I think in the middle of nowhere, that is a valid option. Call an ambulance, okay? Second thing is my dad could valiantly ride home at top speed, get the car and come back and uh, heroically rescue her. Or option C, dust yourself off, pick up your bike and broken leg, (laughs) ride home. What do you think she did? She rode home. What a legend. What a legend. Broken leg. You know, and I feel like this is the epitome of what it means to be a girl. Okay, let let a broken leg be a minor inconvenience, a mere blot on a sunny day. Let us dust ourselves off, pick up our bike, and ride home. And the thing I love about it, one of the things I love about it, is that we headed back to the UK recently for a bit of a bit of family time. God provided just supernaturally; it was incredible, such a great family time. And the awesome thing was, we had all these activities planned. And my mum, it was a surprise to them, and my mum. We had to hire a wheelchair for her. Now, like, this was torment for her, especially when you put Gracie, our 11-year-old, in control of the wheelchair. And my mum's, like, heading towards a lake. Ah, it was hilarious for me. Anyway, oh, Jenny, you laughed. Anyway. And, uh, but the, the great thing about it was, you know, it's in those moments that you discover whether you've got the minerals. You discover in those moments what you're made of. Okay, you discover when the, when the test comes, when the moment comes, you discover what you're really about. And my mum proved probably a greater surprise to her than to any of us, let's be honest, that in that moment, she had what it took. And the reason we're sharing that is that it's only in those moments that we really discover 
What's really going on underneath? What we really rely on? What we really trust in? And it's this that is at the heart of John's message. And I say this because John, as I've said, wrote his gospel last. He was the last in, and there were three accounts already written of the feeding of the 5,000. So John knows in the early church, they're going to know that Jesus feeds 5,000. They're going to know about this miracle. They don't, surely they don't need to know anymore. But John in pointing to significance, John in wanting to reveal Jesus, John, yes, in introducing this theme of I am the bread of life, writes this. And it's not because he feels the need to, to just write what everyone else has written. And one of the distinctives about this that I want to point to today surrounds this idea of testing. I've read it. I emphasized it. Let's read it again. Verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him. This is unique to John's account of this miracle. Okay, it's not in any words. There's a bit of an interaction in the other accounts. But this phrase, this moment is unique to John's account. He asked this only to test him. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. This word test is a strong word. It is the word that is used in the Bible when Satan tempts Jesus, tests Jesus over 40 days while Jesus is fasting in the wilderness. So this is a strong word. And Jesus uses that same word of Satan's testing of him. Jesus uses that same word, or John uses that same word, to describe what Jesus is doing here with Philip. It's a word that test that means we're going to prove the quality of this person's character, of this person's faith. We're going to prove the quality of what's going on. And so Jesus turns and says, where should we buy bread? It was a test. Because Jesus wanted to know, Philip, what do you really believe about me? What do you really believe about me? You see, we could, you know, Philip could turn around and go, Jesus, you're so disorganized. You really wouldn't be at home in New Zealand. There, people come around. You have to provide morning tea. You've got to provide something, okay? Do not let the table be empty when people go, you know, Jesus, you've got 5,000, probably 20,000 people, once you add in women and children, gathering to hear you teach. And you haven't even provided a sausage. Come on, what's going on? And of course, Jesus has in mind what he's going to do. He knows that he's going to supernaturally cater for this crowd. But he wants to know in this moment, Philip, where's your faith at? What do you really believe about me? You see, if you've been around church for long enough, and by long enough I mean five minutes, you will know that the answer, we can test it now, okay? What is the answer to every single question in church? And altogether, Jesus. And if you're new to church, and that is news to you, Well, now you've caught up. Anybody ever asks a question? Just shout Jesus. It's probably right. You know? And the thing is, that's fine if you're a year three in a Kid Street program. It's fine if it's an easy thing to say if you're in life group. It's an easy thing to say if you're sat in church on a Sunday morning. And what's the answer? Jesus. But what about tomorrow? What about things when things don't go your way? What about when the odds are stacked against you? Is Jesus still the answer then? Is he still the right answer? You see, it's only in the moment of testing that we truly discover 
what is within us, what we trust in. You know, my mum could easily say, yeah, I reckon I could ride a bike home with a broken leg when she sat at home on the couch with a cup of tea and a slice of cake. But it's when it actually happens and you have to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, jump on the bike, (laughs) struggle onto the bike, and actually ride. And Jesus tests him because what's happening is it would be easy for Philip to say, the right answer is Jesus when they're around the meal table. Be really easy when it's in the classroom. Quite a different challenge when you are on a hillside and there are 20,000 hangry people and you've got no other option. It's an entirely different option, entirely different thing in that moment to say, no, Jesus, you're still the answer. This is no Sunday morning pop quiz. This is the pressure cooker. And Jesus wants to know, Philip, what do you really believe? So let's see what he does. Okay, first option. He asked his sons to test him. Verse 7, Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Do you see where he goes first? Money. Philip, first of all, goes, okay, we've got this many people, portion sizes like this, this is what bread costs in Capernaum, this is what you earn in a day, it's about 200 denarii, that's more than half a year's wages. Like, we do not have that money. Do you see the moment? He asked us, I need to test him. What are we going to do, Philip? Well, let's think about what money we've got. And the reason I raise that is because I see it in our day. It's a challenge as old as the hills. There are so many people in our city who have, the, who have the money to buy their way out, pay their way out of so many situations, so many challenges, so many crises that they come up against. Money is the answer. But here's the thing. I also find this tendency among people in our city who don't have enough money, who are waiting for their next uh, wins payment or wondering where their w- next wins payment is actually coming from. Why? Because the, 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 the statement in that moment is, if only I had more money. Let's test this. Okay? How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, okay, that would be telling, but how many of you have ever gone, if I won the lottery, I could? If I won the lottery, then. And what it points to is the fact that we have this belief, and it's there in the scripture as well. So this is an age-old situation that we believe that money is the route to true satisfaction, to true comfort, to true success in life. And the disciples in this moment go, Philip goes, we don't have enough. Money in this moment is not enough because even if they did have that amount of money, they're in the hills. There's no shops. There's no vendors. There's no way they can actually spend this money. So where do they go then? Ah, well, we've got this boy. He's got a, he's got a lunch, slightly large lunch for a small boy, let's be honest. Like two small fish, yes, but five loaves? This, did Jesus really teach that long? I don't know. But anyway, this boy has got five loaves and two small fish. And they go, cool. Like, oh, but how far will that go? among so many. Money isn't the answer, so where do they go? Okay, what do we have? Okay, lunch? No? Okay, well that might feed some of us, but it's not going to go very far. And it's the same for us. If money isn't the answer, we then go, well, what do we have? Do I have the skills? Do I have the talent? Do I have the resources? Do I... 
Do I, can I just work my way out of this? Can I force my way out of it? Can just grip my teeth and get through this? Is that enough? Is that enough for me to get through this? And the disciples come up with this answer again. What they have in this moment, what they have in, this fa- in the face of this challenge is not enough. Enter Jesus. Give me five loaves. Give me two small fish. Father, thank you. And he begins to distribute them. Begins to share them. And what we discover in this moment is that when you add Jesus into the equation, into any equation, he is always enough. John's theme in the bread of life reveals Jesus. And we're going to see this over the next three weeks. In every situation, Jesus as the bread of life is enough. And here in this moment of plain old human hunger, Jesus is proved to be enough. And do you know what? These these five loaves, these two little fish, do you notice how much they have left over? Like how many, how many basketfuls could you create out of five loaves? I reckon that's probably about half a basket, right? Maybe it's a whole basket. When they finish, they have 12 basketfuls left over. Line them up. Do you notice they had more left over with everyone full than they had in the first place? Now, I also find it slightly mystifying here that there's only bread left over. Obviously, the fish was a favorite. (laughs) Bread, not so much, but they're full. And there are 12 basketfuls left over. Jesus isn't just enough. He's over the top more than enough. But Jesus had to send them into the pressure cooker. Jesus had to send them into this moment where they are out of all other options to reveal who or what they truly trusted. And they had to come up with, they had to realize their deficit. They had to realize their lack. They had to realize their want to come to this revelation. Actually, Jesus and only Jesus is enough. So let me ask you this question today. As you think about the tests in your life, as you think of the challenges that you have faced or are facing or will face, where do you go? Is it money? Is it, is it resources? Is it talent? Is it words? Is words your thing? Is, is negotiation? You know, even Jenny. Is it others? Jenny grew up with this, this faith in her father. Okay, Jenny's dad just has a love of fixing stuff. So when Jenny was in the playground and kids had broken toys, she'd go, oh, my dad will fix it. <laughs> this week, this week, right, Jenny's dad fixed a coffee grinder with an offcut from a metal blind. Like, <laughs> who are you? Like, who are you? But, you know, we've faced challenges in our marriage and challenges in our lives that even dad can't fix. Even dad can't fix. Everything else proved not to be enough. But we're still here because Jesus and only Jesus is enough. And I don't want us to think about too much about where these challenges come from. Are they from God? Are they from the enemy? Are they from my poor decisions? Are they from just life? Are they from a sinful word? Are they from all these? Let's not really dwell upon that because situations and challenges come from all different places at all different times. But I believe as followers of Jesus, God is using these as a little training program because what these challenges do is they reveal our false reliances, 
they reveal our superficial beliefs and they get stripped away so that all we're left with is a discovery that Jesus and only Jesus is enough. And can I say they're painful? They are tailor-made to reveal your most faithful reliances. They are tailor-made to reveal your deepest insecurities. But they will always let you down at some point. Much better that in Jesus' training program for you, that he might reveal that he and only he is already enough. Do you notice that he already has in mind what he was going to do? He just needed to know, Philip, what do you believe? And I want to reveal to you that what you're relying on is not enough and only I am enough. You see, he had to go into the pressure cooker. He had to go into the test. Philip had to go into the challenge to truly see this. You see, it's only when you've got 20,000 people coming for lunch and you've only got five loaves and two fish that you really realize what you believe in. It's only when you've only rowed three or four miles across a lake in a storm and Jesus comes cruising across on foot that you realize that what maybe you've relied on is not enough and only he is enough. And I want to say that Jesus is the, is the God of the impossible. And I'm able to say that for one reason today. Well, two reasons. One, the Bible says it, but two, it's born out. This isn't just a message I came up with. I mean, I searched the scripture, but this is life for us. When we moved to New Zealand, somebody get my friend Sam gave us a prophetic word. He was like, he just gave us this story, he unpacked 1 Kings 18 for us about Elijah and the prophets of Baal, and he says, God's a God of the impossible. And that became the theme, that became the journey of our year as we sort of tried to pack up the UK and head here. The theme was God of the impossible. And what happened was, we were trying to sell our house and all of these things, and, and, and we, we, we thought, oh, we can rely on money. We thought, oh, we can rely on equity in our house. Oh, we can rely on this, we can rely on that. And God stripped away everything until it was only Him. And I remember one Sunday morning, Jenny and I were worshipping in church, and we were at different parts of the room, but this song came, we'd never sung it before, and, and, and it just ministered to where we were at. And Jenny and I both came to that conclusion this morning, that morning, Jesus only Jesus, you can take New Zealand, you can take everything, just give me Jesus. And as we got to that point where everything else, where it was impossible, where nothing else would do and only Jesus would do, within 24 hours we had two emails that revealed a $14,000 turnaround. Jesus only Jesus. And then we came to another impossible moment because we needed to rent our house. And because of the economic climate and stuff like that, all the criteria that the bank set for us being able to rent our house out, we didn't meet any of them. In fact, in fact, some of them we weren't even in the same country. Like we were just not in the same ballpark whatsoever. All of these criteria, I couldn't buy my way out. We couldn't buy our way out of this. We didn't have the cash. We didn't have the equity. We couldn't finance our way out of this. So I got on the phone. Simon Gill loves words. And I negotiated. And I negotiated every single one of these conditions away except one. And this lady from this building society in Wales said, no, we can't budge on that one. And I mean, this is like, this is game changer. This is end. You know, this is not going to happen. And so we sort of get to this impasse. And she says, oh, um... What are you going to do in New Zealand anyway? I said, oh, I'm going to be a church pastor. You know, if you're a pastor or you understand it, you know, often that's a conversation killer. But anyway, she said, I'm going to be a church pastor. She said, oh, we have a special provision for church pastors. 
And that condition now goes. Do what you always wanted to do in the first place. But I had to get to the end of myself. I had to get to the end of money. I had to go through the pressure cooker to realize all the things that we were relying on and allow them to all be stripped away to realize in that moment Jesus is enough. And as we were worshiping, as we were singing at the start of this service, I wasn't going to go here today, but I just God just reminded me of something. When we were in that situation, I was convinced that I had to do the right thing. Because we could have told some lies and got around it. And the building society would have been none the wiser, and we could have rented our house out. We were renting it to friends. Everything would have been fine. But I knew I had to do the right thing. And I was leading in a life group at that time, and Sam, the guy I talked about before, the guy who bought this prophetic word, was in that group. Christmas time this year, Sam, uh, Sam and his wife, Sean, really felt God calling them to buy a house, and they had no resources. And he had an opportunity to get a loan for a, um, a, a deposit for this house. And, um, and he calls this loan company and he says, hey, um, want a loan? And they said, what's it for? And he says, oh, house deposit. He said, oh, no, no, no. And this person on the phone said, um, are you sure it's for a home loan? Are you sure you want £20,000 for a home loan? That's like 40000 bucks. If you were to say it was home improvements, I'll sign it off now. Do you see, I set an example about how you do things, about how you trust Jesus. Five years down the line, here's Sam in that moment. No, it's for a home loan. Okay, sorry, we can't help you. Two weeks later, something like that, Sam's father-in-law gets a call. Hey, we'd like to give Sam and Sean £40,000 for a house deposit. Don't tell them who we are. Don't tell them where we are. We just want to do that. Do you see how God honors you? You know, and I just, I say that today. They could have had £20,000 by deceit that they'd have had to pay back. But God blessed them with £40,000 that they never have to pay back. You can rely on people. You can rely on stuff. You can rely on money. And I just sense the Spirit of God prompting me this morning to say, I think some of you are relying on deceit. Some of you maybe have told lies or are telling lies. because you're like, And what that does is it says, what I can see is the very best thing for me and therefore, I'm, and if I have to deceive my way to it, if only I get to that, then that will be enough. And what you're saying in that moment is Jesus is not enough. And, and, and I just sense this morning that I need to go there because for some of you, that's where you're heading. And it's a lie. Your lie is a lie. Because that false security, that false dependence is one day going to be shown for what it truly is. And only Jesus, only Jesus is truly enough. And to you, that deceit, that little lie might just be a tick in a box. Might just be a quick yes or no. But you know, you know what you're doing. And I want to say to you today, Jesus, only Jesus is enough. You might also say to me, well, like, what about, what about these, what about the things in my life that, that aren't, that Jesus hasn't answered you know, what about this pressure cooker that I've seemed to have been in for a long time? You know, what, what about these prayers that God doesn't seem to answer? Is he enough for me now? Is he enough to me in this situation? There was, I felt like I got some revelation on this a few years ago. It was just after we'd moved here. And, you know, it's expensive shifting countries, right? It's, it's just a, it's a big deal starting off again. And 
I had in mind sort of maybe nine things that I'm like, somehow we have to save for this. Somehow we have to put money aside for this. Somehow we have to try and do this. And it's like, no, and these are like big ticket items, right? Big, big, big ticket items. And very quickly you come to the moment where you go, well, I can't save that much. I can't put that much aside. Like we have to actually eat. Like how am I, how are we going to do this? And number 10 on the list was something so insignificant, so trivial in light of the nine, that it was just laughable. It was the fact that we wanted wetsuits for two of our girls, okay, and a little ride-along suitcase that the other two had that the third, who was a baby, didn't have, and we quite liked that. And that amounted to probably 200 and something dollars, okay? Two wetsuits and a trunky. And they were just like, wouldn't it be nice, but actually clearly not going to prioritize any cash that way. And Jenny goes to this white elephant stall at the local school gala. She was helping out, helping set up. And if you help set up, you get first dibs on what's there. There are two wetsuits, perfect size, ziz, perfect style, and a little tiger trunky. Little tiger kids ride on suitcase. Jenny says, how much for these? The lady says, $14. And God whispered to me in that moment. said, Simon... I know about the list. And I've shown you in a really easy way that I've, I, I can answer number 10. So if I'm enough for that, would you trust me that I'm enough for the other nine? And you know, God's provided some of those things. Some of those things, other things he hasn't. Some of those things he may never provide. And do you know what? God uses some of the things on that. It's just a mental thing. God uses some of those things to test me sometimes. I haven't provided it yet. Maybe I never will. Do you still trust me? Am I enough for you? If he is enough for the ten, he's enough for the nine. Even if he doesn't answer, if you need it, he is enough. He is enough. Where do you go today? Where do you go? With the challenges and struggles and things in your life, where do you go? Can we just take a moment? You might want to bow your head. You might want to close your eyes. But just take a prayerful moment before God and say, God, where do I go? And for some of you, it's not obvious and you need to think about it. And and maybe it's not a real challenge, but next week it will come up. For some of you, you know exactly what the Spirit of God is saying to you today. You know exactly where He's nudging you. You know exactly the thing you trust in most that he, He is nudging you on in the challenge or in the moments that we're in right now. I want to pray in a moment. I want to encourage you. Would you give it to him? Would you give it to him and say, Jesus, I don't want this anymore. I believe you're enough. Is it others you rely on? Is it money? Is it talent? Is it deceit? Would you say today, Jesus, you're enough? You know, maybe your challenge is life's biggest question. Where do I, where am I going to spend eternity? Because you can't buy your way into that one. You can't earn your way into that one. But you know what? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, 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 whoever in all humanity would believe in him, simply believe, shall not perish but have eternal life. Life, even in the biggest questions. 
Jesus is enough. And as we sit here right now, and I'm going to pray for us in a moment, and then we're going to head into worship. We know that Jesus is enough. And if you have never believed in Jesus, but right now you say, Jesus, I believe you're enough, what do I do? You can begin a conversation now that, to say, Jesus, I believe in you. You're enough for my eternity. You're enough for where I'm going to spend forever. But I want to begin a journey of following you and discover that in every area, in every relationship, in every situation, you are more than enough. Jesus, we want to thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that it challenges me and all of us. It's not just a message I'm speaking. Lord, this challenges me today. I need this message today. God, we need to see those flaws in our lives that we might truly trust you and walk with you, that we might experience life and full life, true life in relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are enough. For our sake, would you reveal to us those areas where we're relying wrongly, that we might discover who you truly are. We pray in your name today. Amen. Hey, would you stand? I want us to worship.